Okay. Good morning, everyone, once again. Good morning. My name is Jaime, one of the pastors here, and I'm glad you all are here this morning. If you happen to be a guest, welcome. So glad you're here. Uh, if this is your first time or your first time in a long time, I'd love to say hi. So at the end of the service, weather permitting, I will be somewhere on your way out. Uh, so come say hi. I'd love to hear your name, how you found us, what your experience was like this morning, and uh, make sure you get one of our welcome gifts on your way out. So uh, make sure you come say hi. Uh, before I get into the sermon, I uh, want to share about something that we've been doing over the last few weeks. Maybe you haven't had a chance to see it. Uh, every summer, the youth, we send the students, our youth, at Chatham Community Church to camp. Uh, and year after year, it is a transformative experience uh, for most, if not all of them. Um, uh, what, we, what we've seen uh, year after year is that as kids come back and then as they leave us, and they reflect back on their time at Chatham Community Church. For those that went to camp, camp becomes a, a keystone moment, a keystone moment in their development of faith, in their connection to God, and their connection to community. In fact, a number of baptisms that we had among the youth have come as a result of their time in camp. So we are invested in getting our children there, our students there. We don't want, and we don't want any of them to fail to go because they didn't have enough money. So uh, students are well invested in making that not be the case throughout the spring. They do one of our famous fundraisers, fundraisers which is the breakfast burritos. Uh, yeah, some of you know. Some of you are waiting. I'm waiting too. Um, you know, they cook, they cook, they prepare, and they deliver burritos uh, filled with love, and that helps them get to camp. But uh, this year, we wanted to do more. We wanted to do more. And so we've got these envelopes. Uh, and each envelope has a dollar amount on it. We've had these at both campuses, and we have them here today. And here's what happens. Uh, if, you t if everyone or if all these envelopes get taken and the dollar amount on them gets brought back, we will be able to send 13 kids to camp free of charge. Yes. Yeah, you can clap for that. Yeah. That's, that's 13 lives changed. And through them, countless others with potential to be changed, to connect to God and connect to community. So uh, I, what I'd love for you to do is consider taking one or more of these on your way out and bringing it back next week uh, with the amount on there. If you want to give more, feel free to do so. Uh, I'm going to have the, uh, this be taken to just outside. It's going to be just as you exit these doors on the round table that's out there. Where is, uh, oh, wait, wait, I already got some. I got some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give them a chance. Give them a chance here. Yes. Uh, this does not reflect mine or Chatham Community Church's support of any team playing today. Playing today. I know this is not Duke or Carolina, but I know, I know we've got feelings about the game today. So this does not represent an endorsement. All right, all right, let's get to it. Hey, did you have uh, a movie or do you have a movie? Uh, did you have it growing up or even now? that if you are trying to figure out something to watch, whether you're watching on TV and scrolling through channels or through the guide or looking at what's streaming, if you see it's on, you have to stop. No matter where in the movie it is, you kind of have to stop and watch. Uh, for me, one of those growing up was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like, it didn't matter at what part of the story it was happening, whether it was after the creepy tunnel or before the creepy tunnel or during the creepy tunnel scene, I had to stop and watch 
Uh, the movie is based on a Roald Dahl movie, on a Roald Dahl book, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, and it tells the story of a young boy named Charlie who's grown up poor and who, along with four other kids, get the opportunity of a lifetime. Uh, they win a chance to visit Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory, which is a kid's dream, which makes sense why I was so attracted to it as a child, because the, the, the factory is filled with rooms that are edible, made of chocolate and candy and whipped cream and sweets, and it is a child's dream. It's filled with sodas that can make you float and hard candy that never disappears. What child would not want that? Now, as the story progresses, other than Charlie, each of the children's time in the factory ends prematurely and unfortunately, usually because they fail to heed some warning that Wonka or one of the other people who works at the factory gives. But another way to look at how their time ends is that each of them has an appetite that goes unchecked. And when they are driven by those hungers, by those unchecked hungers, they crash. You've got Augustus, who is greedy for more, specifically in his case, food. But he's just greedy for more, never satisfied. You've got Violet, who is driven to win. She wants to be first. She wants to succeed above all. She wants to have the privileges of success. You've got Veruca, who wants attention. She wants all eyes on her, but she also wants power and control. She's hungry to be at the forefront. She's hungry to have other people do as she says. And then you've got Mike, Mike TV, appropriately named, who wants escape. And he wants intensity. He wants the experience. He is hungry for more of that. But they're not the only ones who want those kind of things, are they? You and I may have wanted one or more of those things at one point in our lives. We may have been hungry for them. In fact, we may find ourselves craving those things now, or this past week, or in this past month, or in the last year. What are you hungry for today? As you sit here... Maybe you didn't have breakfast, so you're hungry for some scrambled eggs. I get that. But beyond that, what are you hungry for? What are you craving? Not just not your body, but your soul. What does your soul long for? Now, not all the things that they hungered for are necessarily bad, but all of them have potential when we are excessively driven by them to lead us to crash, to cause us to fall to cause us to crash and burn. So the question is, is there a way to keep them in check? Is there a way to put guardrails around them so we can steward those hungers well? Because there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to do well. There's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to influence. There's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to experience. But how can we steward them well? Is there something that we can hunger, or someone that we can hunger for above all, that can rightly order every other appetite we have. And if there is, what does it look like to pursue that, to long for that, to be driven by that? Well, that's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. We're starting a series today called Hungry for God. When we pursue God with passion, with determination, with longing, when we are driven to follow God and to chase after him, we'll see all the other good things that we could hunger or long for. Career, success, family, attention, relief, rest, 
so much more. Not be neglected, not just fall by the wayside, but rather find their proper place in our lives and be satisfied to the right measure, not excessively, but to the right measure and at the right times, at the moment when we are ready for them. The passage Matt read for us uh, a little while ago occurs soon after Peter and John are released and go back to the emerging Christian community. They had been seized and jailed and threatened by the Jewish authorities because they'd been performing miracles, they'd been gaining followers, they'd been preaching about Jesus. They'd been doing things in Jesus' name, and tons of people, thousands of people, were starting to follow Jesus. And so what you've got at the start of this passage is you've got two groups that are experiencing pressure or stress in some form. On the one hand, you've got the Jewish leaders. You've got the Jewish leaders who are feeling some degree of pressure as they're seeing the disciples of a man that they had executed in order to stop his movement, attracting more followers, performing miracles in Jesus' name. They're seeing them preach a compelling message that as uneducated men, they have no business preaching. And so as they see that, they feel stress, they feel pressure, they want to maintain power. They want to maintain control. They want to preserve a sense that they did the right thing in having Jesus executed. Because if they were wrong, then what does that say about them? So they, they arrest. They order. They threaten. They try to satisfy a longing to maintain control, to maintain the status quo. And then you have the disciples, including Peter and John. They have been given authority by Jesus, right? We just finished a series talking about how the disciples and us have been given authority. They have been given authority, they have been empowered, and they have been sent to accomplish a mission. Talked about that last week, the thing that they've been sent with, for, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey what Jesus has commanded. And Jesus says that he would be with us all days to the end of the age, to the end of time. So they've been sent with this mission, but they've been, as they've been sent with a mission, pretty soon after they encounter opposition, they encounter resistance, they encounter threat, they are feeling pressure. They are feeling pressure to stop. They are feeling pressure to cease. They are feeling pressure to give up. And the first thing they do after experiencing that pressure after experiencing that resistance is that they gather as a community, they share what's happened, and they pray. Their response to the pressure, to the stress, is to turn to God, to cry out to Him, to call on Him. They long to move ahead with the mission God has given them. They long then for God. They hunger for Him. Resistance, pressure, or stress tends to surface what we are deeply hungry for, what we deeply long for, and what we might do to satisfy it. Because in, 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 when we encounter resistance, pressure, or stress, we not only feel the hunger, but we feel a compelling need to satisfy it, to do something to address the pressure or stress we're facing. Both groups exhibit that. But so do we. A couple of months ago, I was experiencing some significant stress. 
Now, nothing like out of the ordinary, just the kind of thing that happens when you have a job like I do. You know, good things happening which require changes, which require adjustment, people going through hard situations and good situations which require care, lots of stuff going on, lots of change in life. And I was feeling some pressure. I needed some relief. I needed some respite from all the heaviness, good and bad, that was going on in my life. And I found myself scrolling endlessly on my phone, scrolling endlessly on apps, scrolling endlessly on social media. I wasn't doom scrolling, as they say. I was scrolling endlessly. I sought distraction. I was hungry for relief. I was hungry for respite. And I sought distraction. So as I realized that that was happening, I made some changes. I started to pray. I put some uh, uh, limits or or, uh, boundaries on timers for what I could use apps. But, But in the moment of pressure and stress, it was revealed in me not just what I was hungry for, but what I was doing to meet that hunger. So I want you to take a moment and think of the last time that you felt pressure, that you felt stress, that you encountered resistance. Some of us don't need to think very far. We are feeling it right now. They're feeling it right now. What do you find yourself wanting in the midst of that pressure, in the midst of that stress, in the midst of that resistance? What longing were you or are you trying to meet? What is the deep need of your soul? And how did you or are you addressing it? There's an invitation today to turn that pursuit to God. What we'll see throughout this series, and in some measure we'll see it even in this passage, is that we can bring both our longings for things or for deep needs of the soul to God, and we can also direct our longing toward God. So we can bring to God things we long for, and we can also long for more of God. We can long and hunger for God and bring our other longings to Him. It's not an either-or. It's not that we can't have a moment where we long for peace or we long for relief or we long for rest or we long for uh, grace or we long for mercy or we long for joy or we long for deliverance. It's not that all we can do is say, well, all I'm going to long for is God. No, we can do both. We can do both. We can bring both the deep needs of our soul to God and make God the object or the one we direct our deep need and longing to. We can long for more of Him. We can hunger for God to provide more of something, and we can hunger for God to provide more of God's self. We can do both. Being hungry for God can come from a place of deep need, and it can come from a place of driven pursuit. Those are two ways we think about and talk about hunger even in our day-to-day We talk about hunger as coming from need, but we also talk about hunger as wanting to achieve something, wanting to go after something, right? If you remember, for those of you who remember uh, Rocky III, it's the eye of the tiger. That's what he loses. He stopped being hungry for the victory, stopped being hungry for the championship. And once he loses it, he has to develop that again. It doesn't come from a place of need. It comes from a place of pursuit. We can do both. The disciples need something from God in this passage in light of the threats that they've received, but they are also longing to know God more deeply. 
They are longing to remain committed to his mission. And so they pray. They bring a prayer to God. And in their prayer, they recount stories of past and they connect it to the present. They recount a story in history and they connect it to their current situation. And they do that as a way of remembering that this is not a unique experience for them. That what they are going through, they're not the first ones or the only ones to go through it. Maybe their particular circumstance, yes, but the overall themes, no. There has always been resistance to the work of God. There has always been resistance to those who go in God's name. And they need something like what God has given in the past so they can move forward in the present. That's why they remember. That's why they connect. Because they say, God, this has happened before. And you have done something in the past. And we both need and trust that you can do something in the present. And then they pray. And when they pray, sorry, they pray to the sovereign Lord. That's how they refer to God in this passage. And here's just a freebie tip for y'all. Noticing how people refer to God in the prayers of Scripture gives us an insight into what they are looking to God for or what particular attribute of God they are longing for or needing. They pray to the sovereign Lord because they need a sovereign Lord. They need a God who has the fullness of authority above the authorities and powers that are opposing them because those that are opposing them are in authority. They have power, and so they need a God who is above that in measure of authority and power. They need a God not just who is over that, but who is over all of history. A God who knows that there will be a resistance and still sends people into his mission to encounter resistance. They need to know that that God is over all of that. That's why they pray to the sovereign Lord. They need the God who sent them on this mission where they have now met threats to be over and above those who threaten them because it provides comfort that this is not a fool's errand, that they are not just hitting dead ends, that they aren't being reckless with their lives and with their commitment. So take a moment and think of all the ways we might refer to God as we pray and what that might say about what we need of God what we long for, what we are seeking for. Maybe a next step for you might be to consider when you open your prayers how you address God. Not that there's anything wrong with one way or another, but it's a way to direct your longing to God. What does it mean when we say, when we call God Lord, when we invoke his authority, his right to rule, his leadership over the world and over our lives? When we say sovereign Lord, the Lord who is above all, the one who is over all. When we call him Father, our good Father, perhaps what we need is care, protection, provision, affirmation, tenderness, love. When we pray to the good shepherd, we need a guide, someone who tends to our every need, one we can trust with our lives through the darkest times. At Christmas, we talked about God as the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, and the Everlasting Father. What do you find yourself needing of God today? Take a moment. Who do you need? What aspect of God do you need? Do you need the Everlasting Father? Do you need the Good Father? Do you need the Counselor? Do you need the Deliverer? Do you need the Strong Tower? Do you need the Good Shepherd? Direct your longing, your need to that God.
Now, the prayer of the disciples builds up to this moment when they turn from recounting what has happened and they issue a request to God. They say, now, Lord, consider their threats and... What do you put in that blank when you've experienced threats, when you've experienced opposition, when you've experienced resistance, when your life is in danger? They could have prayed for protection. They could have prayed for release, relief. They could have, and release. They could have prayed for rescue. They could have prayed for a vanquishing of their opposition. What I call the smite them, Lord, prayers. But here's what they ask. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders to the na- through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What they pray is that God would give them what they need to fulfill the mission he had called them to. They want more of God. That's what they ask for. They want more of God in what he's asked them to invest their lives in. They want more of God and more of God's mission. Now hear me. There would have been nothing wrong if they prayed for relief. There would have been nothing wrong if they prayed for protection. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of prayers. The smite, smite them, Lord, prayers, maybe we have to talk about those. But there's nothing wrong with praying that God would remove opposition or that God would deal with evildoers and bring about justice. But there is something about these kinds of prayers, isn't it? There's something compelling, alluring, drawing. Before all other things, they want more of God. Now, you really got to trust and believe that God is enough to meet every need. To pray that. To pray for more of him before anything else. To pray for more of him before any deliverance. You really need to trust and believe before you pray those kinds of prayers. I'm not there every day, friends. I'm not. But I hope to be. How about you? How might our lives and our communities be different if we prayed those kinds of prayers? How might our schools be different? How might our workplaces be different? How might our families be different? Well, here's what a prayer like that might sound like in 2024. It's a prayer I want to commission us to pray. You say, God, here's what I see happening. You fill in. Here's what's going on. Now, in light of that, give me what I need to be faithful to what you've asked of me. Bring to bear your power in every location, situation, and relationship I find myself in. It's a continuation of the stuff we've been talking about since January to bring spiritual power to everyday places. Here's my invitation to all of us. Would you pray this prayer? Maybe you need to tailor it to yourself, right? This sounds very much like me. And, you know, I'm me. Make this sound like you. Make this sound like you. Because here's the thing. God answers these prayers. God answers these prayers. He does it in the passage. It says that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. God doesn't just answer their prayer immediately, but he answers it in an obvious way. 
an evident way. It is a sign that they are to press ahead. They don't just get boldness, which you could write off to just their character or personality. They get a sign from God and an encounter with God. They get what they need and they get a sign. They have an encounter. Life would be different if that were our experience, wouldn't it? If we got what we prayed, we got a sign and we had an encounter. I'm not saying that God is going to answer these types of prayers immediately every time, but what you see throughout the scripture and what you hear throughout history is that God does answer those prayers. God does meet people over and over again. Our experience can be like this. So let's seek God. Let's hunger for him. Let's long for him. Let's pursue him. I want to take an aside for a moment and address the fact that the passage says that they are filled with the Spirit as part of the answer to prayer. Now, here's the thing. Some of the people gathered there, you can make a case that most of them had already been filled for the, by the Spirit. It happened just a few chapters ago in what we call Pentecost. So why does it say that all were filled now? Now, different churches and theological traditions will respond to that in different ways. But here's one way I like to think of it, and it's connected to an experience I had a while back. I was listening to a guy who was a runner talk to someone who was starting to run and was saying, you know, the guy was saying, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm committed to running this much, but my pace is just not, sl- not, not great. Like, I don't feel like I'm doing a lot. And the experienced runner said to him, listen, here's what you need to do. Commit to a time and walk or run whatever you can for that full time. Commit to the time and the pace will come. Commit to the time and the pace will follow because as you run, you build capacity to run faster. As you run, you build capacity to run faster. I like to think of the filling it's talking about here in those terms. I like to think of it as a renewal or a filling of a bigger tank because they're not the people they were two chapters ago. They've had different experiences. They've had to grow to trust, trusting God more. It's like their tank for being filled with the Spirit has grown and developed. Their awareness of their need for God has grown and developed and God meets the need and fills them once again. They've been through more and have made more room for God and God fills that space with more of God's self. I have a friend and mentor who's fond of saying, you get as much of God as you're willing to go after. And here's the reality. Those of us who have been at this for a while, we can tell you that if we experienced God or heard from God or, or felt God inviting us to the things we feel invite, Him inviting us to us now or we experienced Him in the ways we experience Him now, when we started, it would have been too much. We neither had the maturity or the awareness There was too much junk in our lives at that time. You get as much of God as you're willing to go after and make room for. Life with God is growth. He's going to give us the measure of himself that we are ready and able to receive in any particular moment. But the more you seek, the more you pursue, the more you long, the more you hunger 
The more you repent, the more you renounce, the more you set aside the things that were true of the, of the former life, the more you yield more to God and God's will, the deeper you get to experience life with God, the more you get of him. And this is not just a promise for religious leaders. It's not just a promise for holy folk. It's not just a promise for the people that we see as the sort of mature saints. Peter and John aren't the only ones that are filled with the Spirit in this passage. They're not the only ones who have this prayer answered. They're not the only ones who are present when the earth shakes. They're not the only ones who experience a sense of boldness in preaching. Everybody gets it. Everybody. People whose names we won't know this side of heaven. People who lived what we would consider regular lives, lives like you and I live, everyday people who go to everyday places, who are in everyday situations, in everyday locations, in everyday relationships, have this prayer answered. You and I can have these prayers answered. So let's start praying them. Friends, God has said that those who seek, ask, and knock, find are answered, and have doors open. That is a promise in Scripture. Let's pursue God like we are taking Him at His word. I don't know that we do this intentionally, but I find it in myself. They often, I treat God as if He won't be found, as if He won't open a door, as if He won't answer. And so I respond for Him. And I don't seek, and I don't knock, and I don't ask. I want to take God at his word these next few weeks. Would you join me in that? Now, the passage doesn't end with the immediate answer to the prayer. There is more fruit. It says as follows. It says things like they were all in one heart and one mind. They shared everything. It says that God's grace was so at work in them that they had no needs. There was no needy person among them. Now, here's the thing. They didn't pray for any of those things specifically. But they needed them. They needed them in order to fulfill God's invitation for their lives. But in seeking God and being hungry for him, he provided all this as well. He provided everything that they needed. They hunger for God more. They hunger for God first. And the picture we get is that all of their other needs are being met. What a grace to trust that our other needs, our other hungers don't get neglected, but that they get properly ordered and happen within community when we seek God first. Folks, when we hunger for God and seek satisfaction in our pursuit of Him, He also meets every other deep longing of our soul. Every other deep longing of our soul God meets. Now, I want to invite us to pursue God in a very deliberate way for at least as long as this series and the next, which is connected, last. Here's why. I believe God will meet us. I'm going to take God at his word. I haven't had a vision. I haven't had a special word from God. I simply want us to take God at his word. I want to see what happens in Chatham County. I want to see what happens in our neighborhoods. I want to see what happens in our schools. I want to see what happens in the restaurants. I want to see what happens in our places of business. I want to see what happens in our families when a community deliberately pursues God with passion, with hunger, and with longing. We're going to start that today with a step of faith, a step of remembrance, 
that says that Jesus is all we need. We're going to take communion together. Communion is something that Christians throughout the millennia have practiced. It's a way of remembering what Jesus did and what it means for our lives. When we take and eat the bread and we take and drink the cup, what we're saying is that what Jesus started centuries ago was not just effective or was not just located in that moment, but is effective throughout history. Has an effect and an impact now. Has an effect and an impact throughout eternity. We, We remember and embrace the salvation and provision and deliverance of God through Jesus. And we say and trust that this is enough that this is what we need, that this meets the deepest hunger of our soul.